Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Guys, I just spent a beautiful day at PNC Park with my youngest, but the outcome wasn't what we wanted. I'm here talking with the man who took the day off, and he took a very good day off, Jason Mackey from the Post-Gazette, it, at J Mackey PG. Jason, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing good, Craig. I would normally feel really bad about taking off today and then talking like i know everything about the pirates not that i ever know everything but i'm actually the smartest guy in the room right now that i got away from that debacle so i feel pretty good about that that i did not have to subject myself or my loved ones to whatever that was yeah not a good baseball game no it's it's uh it's definitely one of the wildest ones that i've been to but I kind of want to take our us back to, to last night first because that's one of the things that's on everybody's mind was Mitch Keller. Mitch Keller goes 84 pitches. Shelton speaks about it after the game, gives his reasoning behind it. Is is that like a manager, and this was in my head, and I could be completely off base, but is that like a manager just kind of, I don't know, protecting his pitcher and taking one for the team? I mean, I'm looking at his pitches so far this season. He's gone over 100 a couple times. Uh, The lowest he had been at before that was 89. He was at 84 pitches through six innings. Uh, What's your feelings on all that, Jason? I mean, I don't know what he could be protecting Mitch from. Uh, What, not having the wear and tear later in the season? Uh, Did Mitch really want to come out of that game and he didn't want to say so? I. I don't think either one of those is accurate. I mean, my read on it is that Shelton was in a hurry to manage the game and thought he had an idea of how he was going to deploy his bullpen and and this, that, and the other. And I think he was wrong. I think he should have let Mitch continue. Um, I've long been a proponent of allowing guys to face hitters a third time. That does not scare me as much, especially when pitchers are good. Uh, my contention in the past was that if a pitcher, especially on the Pirates, seems to have something that night and he's you know buzzing through the lineup at a pretty good clip, like I'm not going to stop him. Um, you know, if he's encountering trouble and leaving pitches up and whatever and getting hit around, of course you're going to take him out. You should manage the game. But Mitch 
last night was not in that situation in my mind. Um, he gave up one run without allowing a ball out of the infield. He walked none. He hit one guy. Um, that's not a huge crime. You know, if Mitch Keller would have said he didn't feel right, sure. His health is the most important thing. Um, I think Mitch has been pretty darn honest with the media and would have said something to that effect afterward. And he even said, you know, there, there was no conversation that Shelton just said, you're done. And and that was that. And I just, I don't like it. I think Mitch has earned more than that. I think he's pitched better than that. I think that, you know, I understand sheltering guys and, and keeping them out of sticky situations, but this is just not that you have to let an ace be an ace, let a guy, if he shows you that he's good enough, treat him accordingly. You know, I have a four-year-old and a nine-year-old at home. And if they exhibit older kid behavior, I'm going to give them older kid responsibilities. I don't, I don't see why baseball should be any different. Yeah. It was definitely, it was a weird thing. And like I said, I was just trying to kind of think outside the box a little bit, because like you said, Jason, I mean, he gave up not really hard contact, just, two balls that kind of found a place in the infield, just any place that it would have been a hit. I mean, anywhere else and each one of those are outs. It wasn't like he was getting, you know, killed whatsoever. And he had, like you said, one pitch, just kind of get away from him. And they're this is what they're going to counter with Craig. And this is the way the discussion would go. They said, well, he got out of his delivery, you know, and we need his delivery to be clean or whatever. Okay, great. I don't disagree with that. Obviously, you want a pitcher with a clean delivery. At what point does he earn the right to get that back? You know, he got out of the inning with one run allowed. He wasn't comfortable in the stretch. Whatever, he's thrown 84 pitches. Like, that guy hasn't earned the right to go back out there for the seventh inning and show you that he's, like, found his arm slot. He's found his delivery. We're just saying in perpetuity, like, he's not going to find it. Your day's done. We're going to go to Robert Stevenson. Give me a break. And especially, you know, that's what I mean by Mitch Keller deserves more than that. Yeah, and especially for a guy who's kind of become a leader, like, within, you know, the pitching staff. I mean, you're looking at a guy in, in like, Johan Oviedo who was struggling and is kind of, like, almost turning to Mitch and saying, well, this is kind of – this is a pitch that's working for him. I want to see how it works for me. And he's, like, helping these guys grow. And what about this? I mean, they want to sign him to a long-term contract. They want him to agree to pitch here. If you're Mitch, I mean, it's a huge overreaction. I want to uh, preface it with that. Um, And I really do believe Mitch Keller is happy here and probably will sign a long-term or, you know, at least a multi-year extension here. But, I mean, (laughs) you're basically telling Mitch Keller, like, here, sign here. We're going to handle you with kitty gloves. I'd be like, "No, no, sign here. We're going to let you go be a dude. We're not going to take you out of a game after 84 pitches. Like, you're going to be, as long as you pitch like it, which he's certainly done this season, as long as you pitch like an ace, we're going to treat you like an ace. That is something the Pirates can give pitchers that does not cost a dime. And I don't understand why they're just flying in the face of that with the decision that Derek Shelton made last night. Yeah, like I said, definitely very strange. And and another player, I feel like they're – kind of handling a little bit strange, but it's a guy that, I mean, I've looked at the numbers a bunch of times and, and I've spoken about him a bunch of times in, in a Rodolfo Castro where, I mean, they're talking about, you know, limiting him from hitting from the left hand, you know, side of the plate. 
they put him into the lab, into the cages, whatever they've been doing to, to try to get him, him right. They throw him out there right-handed against a position player, which to me is just kind of weird. And then they come back out today and he's in the lineup right-handed hitting against a, a left-hander. And it just seems very, I don't know. It's just like pick a lane and kind of go with it. And that's just where my mind is going with Rodolfo Castro. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I'm with you the whole middle infield situation. Pick a lane and go with it. Uh, there's too much back and forth. You can't expect young players to get comfortable in a situation like that. Um, you know, that doesn't mean they, they need to pick something permanently, but pick something and let it ride for a little bit. And right now it might be Rodolfo Castro at second base to Capito Maracano at shortstop, and you just take the best you can get out of those guys. You know, maybe keep G1 Bay around as a super sub, send Owens down, make the best out of them. Um, you know, I, I, Connor Joe's at bats are probably going to come as a fourth outfielder and a backup first baseman. And I think water is starting to find its level a little bit there. Uh, Jack Sawinski has not necessarily been a world beater. I think you can still sort of, uh, rotate him in and out. And uh, that, that basically takes care of your lineup. Um, but I, I think they're doing a disservice to some of these young guys by not allowing them enough runway to get comfortable or find some sort of consistency. And Rodolfo Castro, to your point, Craig, he just, he's not a shortstop and that's okay. He might not be a second baseman, but he's got power. Um, Look at what he's done offensively in his first about 500 plate appearances. I'm pretty sure every Pirates fan would sign up for that. Um, Is he fully developed? Of course not. Does he make boneheaded mistakes from time to time? Yes, he does. Um, uh, again, I'll take the talent and I'll bet on the kid. Like he's he's a good kid. I think he's going to get there. And they're doing this with a few guys that are just they're varying varying degrees of finished or close to finished when it comes to development. I think Castro, more than any of them, needs to play and mature and grow. And um, you know, I w- this is a great opportunity for him to play a position and play every day. Um, and I'd like to see what the, what the result is if they do that. Yeah, because I mean, I've like I said, I've looked at the numbers. There was only one year in the minor leagues, in I think it was 2021, where his OPS as a left-hander and as a right-handed batter were anywhere close to each other. At left-handed, he was a, a 7.20 OPS. Right-handed, he was a 7.64 OPS. I mean, other than that, I mean, in the majors, he's he's honestly almost like 350 points apart. Um, he's better from the right-hand side. And I feel like that most switch hitters kind of fall into that realm. But like I said, it's just either, okay, he's a right-handed hitter and see how he does against right-handed, or you just kind of put him out there because, I mean, it's not like that the power is zero. I mean, he has in his, in I think it's 324 plate appearances, has a a 609 OPS, which is obviously below average as a left-handed hitter, but it's also not like he's hitting, I don't know, (laughs) a 300 OPS or something ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? So there is still that ability. It's just, but also these guys, I mean, baseball players come off of, you know, just playing regularly and they get into their routines and it's like, okay, now, Rodolfo, we're going to work on this, and then we're just going to kind of go back to doing exactly what we were doing before. It just made yep. no sense to me, man. All right, same. 
Same. And I hate the obsession over the matchups. I really do. Um, you know, hey, baseball is baseball, man. I don't care if you hit left-handed, hit right-handed, throw right-handed, throw left-handed. If you're a good baseball player, you're going to play baseball well. Um, you know, that's like looking at Andrew McCutcheon and saying, well, you're not a switch hitter, so you're really not that good. I mean, come on. Come on. Like, his at-bats have been just fine. We're talking about a guy who had five of the – excuse me, four of the best seasons – in major league, you know, top five MVP seed. He ain't hitting from the left side. He doesn't need to hit from the left side. Give me good right-handed at-bats. I'm fine with that with Rodolfo Castro. Like, are we going to look at O'Neill Cruz and say he doesn't hit right-handed, so he's not that good? Yeah. No. <laughs> he's, just, he's a good left-handed hitter. If yeah. Rodolfo Castro is a good right-handed hitter, I'd rather have a good right-handed hitter as opposed to somebody who's monkeying around with the switch hitting stuff that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, so I, I figure that he's a he's a professional and he would be able to figure it out. And if you're going to just go and he's going to be a switch hitter, I mean, the numbers fall in the middle. I mean, a 609 OPS, a 968 OPS, you cut that down the middle, and he is still a major league baseball player. What I think they should be doing right now with Castro and even Marcano to a degree too, simplify. Just simplify. Stop screwing with them, man. Stop screwing with them. And, and you could you could take that for Andy. You could take it for Henry. You could take it a lot with player development stuff. Like, just simplify it. Play baseball. Have fun. These kids are so athletic. I mean, they are so fun to watch when they get going. I think Tuka Pito Marcano could actually be a pretty darn good shortstop. He's got the range. He's got the hands. Uh, he just needs the reps. Dude, go out there and play. Like, yeah, when O'Neill comes back, he's going to play shortstop. But O'Neill ain't coming back for nearly three months, so... Go enjoy the time. Let's see what you can do. I, I just there, there's a, a thing with Shelton, and I like Shelton. Believe me, I, I get along with him. I, I I think he does a lot of good things for this team, um, but I think he does have a tendency to overmanage sometimes. And I think it's a, like an overuse of the bullpen, and is a little too eager to get going in that phase of the game, and a little too eager to hunt matchups and put his guys in good situations or whatever. I think sometimes you just need to roll the ball out there and let the kids play. And uh, I would like to see them do that more up the middle. If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the Y that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at WW Shop Yins, the emphasis on the two Z's, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. Speaking of let the kids play, I'm going to go the complete opposite direction and go to one of the oldest players on the team. And it's something that's just been like sticking at me is that, I mean, Carlos Santana has played believe me, defensively, a, a first base that I, I really didn't expect like this much from him. 
I basically diving all over the place, like digging balls out of the dirt, doing all that great stuff. In the month of April, he hits 276, a WRC plus of 117. Over his last 15 games, he's got a slash line of 173, 295, 269. How long do you let that go? Oh, I'm not in a hurry to do anything there. Okay. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I, I, I let it go longer than I can quantify at this point. And in one way, because he's under contract and they're paying anyway. Um, I also don't see anybody at the minor league level that is fully ready to play first base. Um, I think Andy could get over there eventually, but I, he, he hasn't, I, taken very many reps if any in triple a and so and they're dead set on catching him so it's kind of pointless for me to say anything malcolm nunez i guess if he continues he's been pretty good of late if he continues maybe he goes over there uh, but no I'd, I'd ride it out i think he's been good for this team he's been really good defensively it's been nice to watch an actual first baseman play first base as opposed to some of the options they've been trying to shoehorn over there uh, he hasn't been good offensively lately i don't disagree with you at all um, I thought there was going to be a lot more power there, and there just hasn't been. But, you know, it's it's still a relatively small sample size. Um, you know, I would just offer to people, like the, the Brian Reynolds last year stunk at this point. Like, he was awful for the first two months and didn't really start feeling it till the end of May in San Diego. And then he got hot all of a sudden. And I'm not saying his uh, season matched previous ones, like the OPS was still in the high eights, but he did set a career high in home runs. Like you, you, you can get there. It's there's still time. Um, I guess I would say it's with Santana. Like I haven't been loud enough to, to say like, Oh, I definitely want to have this guy back next year. You know, I'd probably be okay. Just letting him go. I don't think it's that important, but I wouldn't turn the page just yet on playing time at 23. Okay. And that's where I was. I want people to understand. I wasn't like, okay, like cut ties and cut bait and do whatever. But I just didn't even know if he just needed a, a couple extra days off because, I mean, I, I know with, you know, with Choi getting hurt, you know, some of those reps and, and the times that he would have been at DH have kind of, you know, wasted away a little bit with, you know, McCutcheon pretty much being, you know, straight DH. Uh, yeah. I know that he had like a little bit of a tender ankle at one point, different stuff like that. And, and, McCutcheon's taking great at bats, so you you want him in your lineup. And not to say that Carlos isn't taking good at bats, he's just not having good results. It, it was just that, you know, I think that they were thinking things would go one way, and I wouldn't say, like, you know, a Choi injury is, is devastating to the team, but it definitely takes away from the plan that they originally had. Yeah, and I mean, I think they expected to get more power out of Santana than they've gotten so far. I mean, I think that's fair. I think Santana probably expected to give them more power than he has. Um, but I do think there's an interesting question. You kind of touched on it. Brewing with Choi. Um, and, and what do you do there? He, I don't know his exact timeline at this point. I mean, it's still a couple more weeks. But he's starting to throw and hit again. Um, and he should be back on the field, you know, I'd say within a month or so. And I, what, what do you do? I mean, they'd love to get out from under the end of that contract for sure. Uh, maybe love to flip them and get something for them. Do I think they can do either of those things? Probably not. You know, not at this point. Um, you know, maybe if he comes back and gets hot, you can move him somewhere. But at this point, I mean, that looks like such a flop of a deal. 
and you know just kind of an albatross of a contract he hasn't added anything um as much as he's he's funny you know like he'll make people laugh but i mean that's a hell of an expensive joke you know they could have hired a stand-up comic for less than four million and change or whatever the heck he ended up making like that that's basically what he has added to this team you know i i i like him i want to see Troy get healthy and be productive i want to see the pirates be able to trade him but you know what? What do you do to get there? You got to play him somewhere, and if you're going to play him at first, you're going to take reps from Santana. If you're going to DH him, you can take reps from McCutcheon. What do you do? And I just I don't know the answer to that question, Craig. But I do think it's something interesting we're going to have to start talking about in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think that's something that that we have maybe even talked about in the off season a little bit was just that, you know, you you didn't know you were going to get Santana, so you went out and got Choi. You didn't know you were going to get McCutcheon, so you ended up, you know, going out and getting, you know, Connor Joe, which at all of those things have all been, you know, except for Choi, who's, you know, barely been on the field, have, have been all good moves. But it's just kind of like crowded positions that I I wouldn't say that didn't need to be crowded, but just it, it just made for a, a very, you know, interesting like, situation. Yeah, I wrote this in spring training, and I know I caught some heat for it. People said it was a stupid idea, and they could probably look back on it wasn't that stupid. But they could have got out from under the Choi contract. You know, they didn't. There, there was a clause in there because he he went to arbitration, had a hearing, blah blah blah. Like they could have, I, I forget what the actual terminology is, but basically paid him a million and some change to go away. You know, give him like a severance package or whatever, and you don't have to commit to all of the contract. Um, I'm sure they'd like to have that money and and not have to deal with him coming back and what you do with them. Um, but I just, it, it, it's the redundant bodies, right? And I, the the Connor Joe and McCutcheon thing, like I'm fine with that. You have the opportunity to get Cutch. That's the right move. A hundred times out of a hundred, Cutch has been very good. Connor Joe's been very good. Frankly, I have zero issue with Connor Joe and what he's done on this team. I like him as a rotational outfielder and a backup first baseman. He's been excellent in both of those roles. He's been a nice addition to the clubhouse, uh, personality-wise, leadership-wise, all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I probably would have been fine with just Choi at first. I, I like Santana better at first. I think he's been a better defender. I just didn't understand, like, keeping the two of them and pretending it's going to be some sort of platoon, like you maybe could have traded Choi. At minimum, you could have got out from under the contract again in spring training, but keeping him, I mean, it just looks like a wasted four, I forget what he makes off the top of my head, but you know, four, four million and change. And for anybody else, that's nothing. But here in Pirates land, like I'm sure Bob Nutting is uh, probably not happy that $4 million just vanished like that. Yeah, and I I know that uh, that Ethan Houlihan will probably he'll probably comment on this if I'm completely wrong, but I I think it was like a a ver- I think it's called like termination pay or something. Yes, that sounds right. Okay, yes. and and if and if I'm wrong, Ethan, I apologize and and get back to me on that because he's he's actually the guy that I go to for a lot of those types of questions. But for oh, some reason, that's just just he's, sticking he's, in my head. Ethan's not human. I don't know how much, how all of that information fits in one brain, but I appreciate that it does. Yeah, I, I definitely do. So, Ethan, if I'm wrong, you know, give give me a shout and let me know exactly what that was called. But we're going with another like decision that's going to be on. It's on the horizon. It's it's coming up pretty quick here. Vince Velasquez pitched in uh, in Indianapolis this weekend. Went about four innings. I mean, looks 
pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, based on, you know, one rehab start that he's going to come back and throw, you know, however many scoreless innings in a row, but this is going to, you know, make a decision have to happen here. And, you know, Luis Ortiz has been filling in for him. Uh, Unfortunately, Luis has not looked like the Luis of last year, at least to this point. Um, So is that like a a fairly easy decision at this point in time is, you know, Vince back in the rotation and then Luis back out. Yeah, I think it is. I do. Uh, The only, only hesitancy in this would have to be something that Velasquez says, you know, how, how does he feel? Does he feel ready? Um, if he feel like it feels like he needs another one, then that's fine. I would completely understand that. I don't think he will. I think he'll probably say he's ready and he wants to go, but that would be the only reason I wouldn't just plop him back down in the rotation. Um, he started Saturday, you know, whenever his turn comes up as quickly in that range as I can get him in as possible. I do that. Um, I haven't looked at their probable starters for this week. I think Ortiz was slated to go tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, so you can correct me if I, if I miss something there, but um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, as soon as Vince is ready, I'd get him in. Um, if he told me he needed one more fine, but it, it's been somewhat disappointing with Ortiz, although I certainly understand it. Um, I think, you know, he, he came up last year. He was at, at the tail end of a really fantastic year. Um, I've seen enough of this stuff to see, you know, guys sort of finding it a little bit more as it gets warmer, as they get into routine and that sort of, and just Ortiz isn't there. And that there's no mark against him. I think he's going to be an incredible pitcher, but he's too inconsistent with his delivery. I don't think he suddenly has something wrong with his arm. At least that's not what I've seen. Um, I see somebody who's tentative and not wanting to let an outing spiral on him. I don't think he knows where the ball is going with any sort of consistency and he doesn't want it just rattling around the backstop. He wants to try to be able to throw strikes. And so he's taking a little bit off. Um, last year, he was much more confident in himself and was letting it rip. I send him back down to triple a, let him find that confidence. He pitched fine there. And it's certainly, you know, it's an annual tradition with the pirates where guys tear up triple a and then can't get those results to translate. But, you know, I send him back down there, have him find himself and, and say, well, we'll see you again in a month or something like that. You'll be back here. You're going to play an important role. But for right now, we need you to keep working at AAA, and I think that's what they'll do. Something you said earlier, Jason, just, just kind of like put something, a thought into my mind. And, and you were talking about like, you know, water finding its level. And, and this is a Pirates team that, you know, really wasn't, I wouldn't say wasn't supposed to do anything. That's like a horrible way of saying it, so I'll reword that. That they weren't supposed to get out to the hot start that they did. They were a team that, you know, some had predicted to start pushing towards 500, to learn how to win, to to start to compete. And and I know that, you know, you get out to a 28 start, then you go, you know, 4 and 14 at this point in time when we're recording. So you're 24 and 22. But if somebody came to me and said... The Pirates are 24 and 22 on May 21st. I think I would take that. I but I know how they got there so I'm not as you know as willing to take that if you know what I mean. Oh, I know. I know exactly and I I sort you know I try to figure that out in my head a lot too. I mean, you know, should you feel good about this? Should you not feel good about this? And and yeah, if somebody would have told you that blindly, you would have taken it in a heartbeat. 
anybody would have. That would have been above expectations, I feel like. But you know the context of it. And if you've watched this team play, like a lot of their stats. I mean, hitting with runners in scoring position is is perfectly emblematic of what we're talking about. Right? Like, they're actually good if you look at the entire season. I think going into last night's game or today's game or something, they were around third in MLB, hitting with runners in scoring position. Anybody who's watched this team over the basically in May would think that they're the worst team in the history of baseball hitting with runners in scoring position. Like, it rarely happens. I think they were 211, you know, this month or something like that. I wrote that in a story. But, I mean, that's what I mean, right? Like, the, the, the whole thing looks good. But just recently, it looks like crap, and it taints your view of it. And and you worry. You think like, oh, man, well, they just had a good month, and this is just a really terrible team crashing down to earth. And, you know, those are the data points we have at this point. And there are going to be more data points ahead. And I think that, like I said, the water is going to find its level. And, and I mean, maybe it, it, it can go back up, too. Like, I, I, I'm not ruling that out. I think the Pirates are going to, you know, I think they're going to be capable of winning games. I think they're going to bounce back. I think they're going to be okay. But, you know, when it's all said and done, like the expected level of this team, um, I, I would say this, that it's higher than some people maybe thought. I know Vegas, what was it, 68 was the over-under, something like that. I think yeah. if you revisited it. Based on what we've seen so far, you'd probably say they are better than a 68-win team. I think that's fair. But, yeah, it's just it's tough because of how good that April was and how bad the May was. And I'm, I'm anxious for the June data point to see and give us a little bit more of a clear picture. Yeah, because as Chris and I had said on one of the previous shows that his dad said you don't, you don't t- check your record until – uh, Memorial Day, so we, we got a cup. We got like another week before that happens. Uh, I don't even believe it. Then I really don't because <laughs> of how funky this season's been. Seriously, like they, they have like a three-week penalty or something because of how um, opposite their their two months have been. Yeah, I just I just kind of see if if they can avoid another lose uh, another losing streak which i mean it's bound to happen at some point in time but hopefully there's another winning streak that, that clicks along with that but as long as it's not like you know we get swept you know two two series in a row and just look absolutely awful and lose the game before that and we we lose that many games in a row but i, I know i can't prevent that from happening either but it's almost like at this point in time it's like guys can we tread water and not throw five wild pitches? Yeah, that's not ideal. That's not ideal. And I mean, there are things that the Pirates are doing right now that they are they should be doing better. And I know that sounds basic, but like these are self-inflicted wounds. They should be controlling the running game better than they are. That's a problem that's not getting enough attention. That's on pitchers, that's on catchers. They're one of the worst teams in the league. Their success stealing bases lately has stunk. They need to get a lot better in that department. And that's picking opportunities to go, the the physicality of the jumps that you get, um, shutting it down if you don't get a jump, that sort of thing. Um, th- again, these are controllable things that are not, they don't cost extra money. They're not outside of the Pirates' reach. The Pirates were very good at them not too long ago. Playing cleaner defense. They have not been a good defensive baseball team this season. Sure, Key Brian Hayes has been good. I can pull some metrics that say Austin Hedges has been good. Carlos Santana has been good. But the infield defense as a whole has left something to be desired. Fundamental plays like the one you're talking about, Craig, you know, Dari Moretta throwing the ball away or or whatever, 
the wild pitches, not good. I can't defend that. Um, but you know, just little little gameplay stuff like that uh, that I just I, I don't like. And, and the bullpen has been a little bit wobbly lately, and I just I would like to see that stuff get cleaned up. And I think if you're not giving away outs, if you're not running into outs, stupid stuff like that, be amazed how far that can go sometimes. Yeah, a four three game uh, turns into uh, an eight three game pretty quickly, and. And that's what I witnessed today. But, Jason, it's been great talking to you. And, and like you said, maybe like the middle of June, uh, maybe a little bit later than that, we'll check back in with you and, and, and we'll have some uh, some more talking points as to what's going on with the Pirates. All right, brother. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. They change, they say